up on the WAC podcast. WAC Vegas is over, and oh, what a week it was. We'll break down everything that happened during the WAC basketball tournaments brought to you by Hercules Tires. Also, we'll have Paul Coro from Grand Canyon University as the Lopes make their second trip to the NCAA men's basketball tournament in the past three years. Southern Utah is also dancing on the women's side. We had two teams in the NIT for the first time in more than a decade. A lot to catch up on coming up next on the WAC Podcast. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. Today's episode is presented by Hercules Tires. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Kendra Sheehan. Two teams in the NIT. We're going to work backwards. We're going to start all with our postseason before we dive into the NCAA and then whack Vegas, right? Let's do it that way. Let's do it that way. Let's lead with the most important thing, Kendra, and uh, <laughs> uh, the bids to the NCAA tournament. Congratulations, Grand Canyon men's basketball, Southern Utah women's basketball, winning the whack Vegas, the Hercules tires, whack basketball tournaments. First time for Southern Utah going to the NCAAs. Second time, for Grand Canyon going in just three years. And let's start with GCU, Kendra. This was uh, an upset uh, for them to go. They will be playing Gonzaga uh, on Friday in Denver, a place we know very well. That's going to be on True TV. Southern Utah will play earlier in the day, the women at Notre Dame. That'll be on ESPN2 uh, in the afternoon. So both those games will be Friday. But uh, for GCU, and we'll talk to Paul Coro here in our uh, second segment, but with Paul uh, being very excited about the Lopes and coming from a five seed going into the tournament, of course, a lot was made out of the resume seeding system. Sam Houston was number one and Utah Valley was number two, but uh, both those teams get upset in the semifinals on their way to, now they're both in the NIT, which will be actually tonight as we record this on Wednesday, but Grand Canyon coming out on top over Southern Utah. So many crazy things happen in WAC Vegas. I guess let's start with, with Grand Canyon winning as a five seed. Yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people that were close to the program who were, um, you know, with Grand Canyon, who were surprised that, you know, the championship wasn't even necessarily on their radar last year coming in the five seed. They had to play in the first round, work their way. So their bracket was tough. They then had to play Seattle U. Then they had to play Sam Houston. And then ultimately, of course, uh, Southern Utah to make it. But, you know, they had such a roller coaster of a season. They had such big wins, but then they would have 20 plus losses to Tarleton who actually ended up winning a game and proving themselves a little bit, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't on their radar as something that could happen this year. And it was just, you know, a team that really wanted to and believed in themselves and had so many playmakers step up that they were able to do it. Yeah. You talk about the journey they had to go on winning four games in five days. And even that first game, Kendra, when they were over at Mandalay Bay, they beat UT Arlington 82 to 77. So that wasn't like a blowout or a, a game where Coach Drew could rest a lot of his players. Come back uh, on Thursday, they beat Seattle U, who was the four seed, who was on a bye, 84-79. Then they uh, they come through in the uh, semifinals, and they beat Sam Houston. So that, that game was 78-75. And then in the championship, they knock off Southern Utah. 
And that uh, we, we kind of were, were joking a little bit about it. It was such a great tournament in terms of competitiveness, in terms of coming down to the wire, last second shots, you know, a lot of strategy at the end. Grand Canyon really blew the doors off Southern Utah in that uh, championship game. Yeah, honestly, both our championship games, not that I'm going over to the women yet, but they weren't necessarily, you know, I felt like 15 of the 20 games that were 22, I guess, so maybe eight, 16 of the 22 games or whatever, somewhere up in there, it was like two point games. I mean, they were yeah. so especially down to down to the end. And they were games that we didn't think necessarily would be the 11 seed play, playing against the two seed and those type of ones. Everyone I felt like just stepped up their game. And so... You know, the championship game certainly wasn't as uh, close or, you know, nail-biting excitement that I think a lot of we, we were looking for. But, you know, that doesn't take away anything from what Southern Utah Grand Canyon did. And we did see Grand Canyon win in a couple of different ways, Kendra. Ray Harrison winds up being the MVP. He got red hot, as did all the Lopes, uh, those last couple of games from the three-point line. But Gabe McLaughlin, here's a guy – he was a key part of that team two years ago. He came in, played really well against Iowa in that first round game. Uh, a guy who's, he's kind of a tweener, I guess. He's kind of undersized to be a post player, uh, but then he's kind of almost too big to be, you know, kind of a traditional wing player. But we also saw him get red hot from the three-point line during the tournament and proved, you know, those highlight reel dunks that we have grown accustomed to seeing. And he's really a guy, when he's going well, and then when Ray Harrison gets going well, and then when we saw Kobe Knox, what, what was he, six for six, seven for seven from three-point land, uh, one of those games, uh, um, Chance McMillan also got red hot. And, and they're doing this all, Kendra, without Javon Blackshire Jr., preseason player of the year. You see him on the bench and still limping around, uh, you know, a, a little bit from his injury earlier in the year. So kudos to uh, Bryce Drew and the Lopes for, for winning this tournament, overcoming a lot of adversity and really coming together when it counted. Yeah. Now not to take away because Ray Harrison, 100% deserves the most outstanding player award. He had 30 plus points in the championship game, eight rebounds, eight assists, you know, he went off, but I almost feel like if there could be a co MOP, Gabe McLaughlin should also get that. I feel like he is often like in Ray Harrison's shadow as Ray came in this year, but Gabe, you know, he's been with the program. Like you said, he was key part of that, that their team two years ago, Gabe goes off in whether the semis or the quarterfinals with 35 points yeah. rebounds. I mean, he doesn't do that. I mean, Ray Harrison had fouled out of that game. And, and so Ray Harrison didn't have a good game that day. No. So, I mean, like combined, you don't, you don't get to where they are without Gabe going off 35 points. And so I feel like, and but the, my favorite part was when, when we were there at the championship, we were on stage, we we're presenting the award to Ray there in the crowd. Gabe is getting everybody going and he's over there shouting MVP, MVP, getting his whole team to do it. And I'm like, I almost wanted to pull him up there. Like, Hey, you, there should be something there. <laughs> That's just how I feel. That's Kendra's take of the day. And, and I had a chance to be in the post-game press conference with uh, Gabe and Ray after they, they won. And and both just very gracious young men. They are, yeah. uh, and if you have a chance to go to the Grand Canyon Instagram page, uh, there was a video of Gabe 
doing the uh, one shining moment kind of dance. He's kind of doing like some jazz hands and stuff like that. It's pretty, pretty entertaining stuff. If you go to the GCU men's basketball Instagram to see Gabe uh, doing his performance art to the uh, famous NCAA uh, song that they always play at the end of the tournament. But this is a team. They, they wind up getting the, the 14 seed. There was uh, some speculation that they were going to play Baylor and have uh, Drew versus Drew in the first round. Uh, they wind up getting Gonzaga, traditional power. We, we always see it's you know interesting because we go to the Orleans Hotel, and when we go there, it's still the West Coast Conference Tournament, and every person there, it seems, is wearing Gonzaga outfits. <laughs> so Gonzaga Grand Canyon, two of the, the staples of the Orleans Arena the past few years, meeting in Denver. And this is, I mean... That's the tournament. We see, you know, these 14 three seed upsets from time to time. Uh, Gonzaga was a co-conference champion in the regular season this year. So maybe didn't have as good a year as they've had the previous three, four years. But then they win the uh, West Coast Conference tournament, pretty much going away, uh, blowing out St. Mary's in, in the championship game. But uh, they they got done Tuesday night. So is there going to be a factor where maybe a little bit of rust uh, as they wouldn't have played in about what ten days, as whereas GCU maybe a little time to to re uh, re-energize after going four games in five days. We'll we'll see. That's a great point when you when you think about it that way because yeah, I mean a lot of time off. Yeah, you can work on some things, but it's a postseason. You what you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just kind of fine tuning some things. So. I don't know. I mean, with GCU, they have, they've shown they have so many playmakers. I mean, we're literally the freshman Kobe Knox is knocking down six threes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> then you have Chance McMillan. He, he didn't start off great. He's popping off. Noah Bauman's popping off. Gabe's popping off. Ray's popping off. Who do you guard? Nobody. You just yeah, no, Noah Bauman was, was a guy I didn't know a lot about until, you know, watching him play. But I mean, what a smooth stroke he has and, I mean, if he's open, it's going in. Right. Nothing but net. Four-point play. Whack top play over right. perhaps the, the best play I've ever seen in person, which was the Sharita Doherty prayer that went in, last second shot, gets uh, best things SVP seen all day, gets on the Today Show. It, one of those March Madness kind of moments. We, we both were there for this, and it, just an unbelievable shot. And Southern Utah not only – that was in the quarterfinals. I mean, they had to go on and win in the semis and in the championship game, which they do. But uh, that that seemed to be really the the moment they kind of became that team of destiny. Seriously, I mean, literally. So the initial plan, they were down by two. Apparently, they were just going to try and drive to the basket. If it goes in, get a foul, whatever. They get blocked, so that she just has to chuck it up. <laughs> In Sharita's words, where I wish it was a cooler shot, which are like, Sharita, what? This was the sickest shot ever. You Because <laughs> what, what happened was, so they, they inbound the ball, it got tipped, and yeah. Sharita had to kind of, you know, go grab it and then just heave it at the, in the same motion. And it literally sinks nothing but net. I mean, coolest thing ever. And she's just like, you know, I wish I played better thought the game you know she's so <laughs> that player that is like uh, i'm i just want to be better my team set me up for all this like wish it was cooler you know where you're like holy cow so props to her but yeah they don't even get into the championship 
without they don't even get in the semifinal without yeah that. without making this shot like that was new mexico state who was up who would have been into the next round i mean it's just crazy and then they go and you know make it to the championship win it all Handily. they win it all so that was 62 to 61 over new mexico state it was the seventh seed and, and the aggies uh for this being their last time in WAC Vegas, that was the last play of New Mexico State's reign in the WAC in basketball was the Sharita Doherty uh, buzzer beater. But they looked like a team, you know, if they had won that game, they could have easily uh, been a team to win the championship, especially the way Molly Kaiser was playing uh, in the in the first couple of rounds. Certainly uh, one of the better players in the tournament, Southern Utah uh, would go on to beat California Baptist in the championship. 82 to 73 was the final on that one. Uh, California Baptist upset uh, Stephen F. Austin in the semifinals. So Jared Olson, we we knew he's a, a good coach and got his team uh, ready to play. And they were able to defeat Stephen F., who was the number one seed, in, in somewhat of an upset. But at the same time, CBU also beat him during the regular season. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk some more WAC sports on the WAC podcast. Can we talk more Whack Vegas? We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the Whack Podcast. Welcome back to the Whack Podcast, Eric Danner and Kendra Sheehan. Kendra, uh, before we get off the topic of Whack Vegas, which we kind of intermixed postseason and uh, what happened in Vegas, uh, doesn't necessarily stay in Vegas because GCU... Moving on. <laughs> I just thought of that. Good um, one. <laughs> wanted to get some of your favorite memories from the week uh, as you were on the sidelines for 20 games. That's right. Uh, just uh, just a, a warrior uh, out there, uh, <laughs> just uh, fueled by energy drinks and uh, I don't know what else, but uh, you, you were able to get it done. Um, thought you did a fantastic job all week, but what were some of your favorite memories? First, I'm on the edge of getting a deal. No, I'm not, but <laughs> energy. comments on my tweets. I actually, it was really funny. I commented, one of my friends had tweeted something about me and I it put powered by five hour energy, like love you, like to the girl I was tweeting, but like powered tagged and then five hour energy. Boom. We love you too, Kedra. <laughs> wow. How about that? So I'm like, okay. You know, let's do a uh, NIL deal here. I know, right? Like I could, you know, it's, is it approved by the NCAA too? I think so. Anywho, back to favorite moments. So that's your number one memory. Yeah. <laughs> a retweet by five hour energy. Yeah. Thank you. Five hour energy. You made my week. <laughs> let's see. I'd have to go. Let's go. Ooh. Ooh. I think uh, one of my favorite memories actually first on the women's side and they're both the same school. So that's kind of funny, but Utah tech comes in the five seed. They play Utah Valley, the 12 seed It's actually right. a closer game than much closer a lot of people anticipated, but it was cool because I remembered at the beginning of the season, that was their one goal. It wasn't like, Hey, you know, we're going to, once we get in the tournament, we're going to go, we want to win a game and everything else is bonus. And they were able to do that. And then they, put up quite a fight against California Baptist and they did so without two with their twins, both 
tearing their ACL. So the mm. one who was their best player was we knew was out. They broke the news to us at media day and it looked, it was a really an emotional kind of, you know, news breaking obviously. And then the other, so that was Maddie Warren and then Macy Warren tears her ACL in December. So she's out. So they're playing without those two and they go on and they win. And that was just a really cool moment. I'll have to say, cause staying on the women's side, Seattle, you, my goodness, they were the 11 seed took down UT Arlington whack player of the year. Of course, star Jacobs though she does go down and gets injured and isn't able to finish out the remainder of the game but then they go on and then they're they're going toe-to-toe with Grand Canyon like very close giving them on the ropes they were up in the fourth quarter as I recall oh my gosh yes talk about a team with mainly freshmen I think it was 10 plus newcomers and you're they're just lighting it up (laughs) yeah that 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 was was Unbelievable, and uh, certainly the Sharita Doherty. None of us are going to ever forget that moment. But yeah, those are those are definitely some uh, some memories. I I think Utah Tech and Utah Valley. Everybody's going to remember that Southern Utah Utah Valley game in the men's with the twenty three point comeback and then the four point play with under ten seconds to go by Tevian Jones. But the game before that, that Southern Utah Utah Tech game, was one of the better games of the tournament. I mean, you, you had people dunking on each other, uh, Trey Edmonds dunking on one end and then getting dunked on on the other end. And uh, the Tarleton, Utah Valley, the Aziz Bandago block, block shot, block shot, goes and does a behind the back dunk on the other end and then comes back on the other end and blocks another shot. Uh, just there, there are some capsules in there that were just unbelievable and, and so much fun. And being the TOC, as they say in the biz, the timeout coordinator, being on press row as opposed to being in the truck, being a part of that atmosphere this year. Uh, I mean, so two years ago when Grand Canyon wins the tournament, it was still COVID. It was still limited fans. It didn't have the same feel as it did. Southern Utah came out in droves. The, the student section was rocking. GCU, as we know, the Havocs, you've been one. You're an honorary havoc for a day. There, so so to see both of them, you know, rocking the the bleachers there, and just the how loud it can get in the Orleans, it's a it's a really cool atmosphere. That's it what was. I won't forget. That's true. Yeah, our championship, GCU, Southern Utah. Southern Utah, obviously, like two hours away. So they're just coming out. I want to say that they had more students in their student section. I, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, there was probably it's more purple in the in the crowd, but, but as far as the student sections go, yeah, I think you know, Southern yeah, Utah. Had more fans, but Southern Utah had more students. As you said, though, it's about two hours, what, two and a half hours away? Yeah. So it's Whereas expected. Phoenix is a little bit uh, more of a Four jaunt. hours. Yeah. Five. But still, and and that's part of the the greatness of the tournament is now you have Utah Tech, Southern Utah, CBU, and Grand Canyon all within driving distance of you know not a terrible drive for for those four schools. Uh, probably, excuse me, a flight. Maybe Utah Valley. I mean, that's that's uh, I don't know how many hours that is from uh, from Orem to get down to Las Vegas, but. It's it's definitely got more more fans that can do that drive now than than in years past, and 
Hey, we, we live in the, in the Dallas Fort Worth area now, and there's a lot of schools within this area and boom, it's, you know, one flight and, and you're there. Direct flight, two, two hours, two and a half. On the way back, maybe two hours on the way there. It seemed like it was about three. three. But I'm just trying to hype it up for. (laughs) And if nobody sits next to you in the middle seat, you can get some work done. And, or, 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 um, no, I think I had pretty good flights on the way there for the most part. That's, that's, uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. No horror flight stories here (laughs) that I feel like sharing. <laughs> All right. Well, we we did have uh baseball and softball. Uh we got conference play already underway. It's it's hard to believe, Kendra, with it already being the uh I believe they call this the Ides of March if we're going Shakespeare. And believe it or not, Kendra, baseball, softball, already conference play getting underway in those sports. We saw some baseball conference games last week. I believe we have softball starting up this week with conference play. And not to burst anybody's bubble since, you know, we are a bit, uh, uh, I don't know if tired is the word, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of hours. And, and again, it's not working in a coal mine, but 18-hour uh, days upon 18-hour days kind of stack up on you. And the old body gets a little worn down, only five weeks away from our next championship, so <laughs> which will be oh. women's golf at uh, Semiyamu Country Club up in uh, Blaine, Washington. Uh, up near the Canadian border there. So I'm going to be headed to that. You're going to be headed to tennis. But uh, yeah, just uh, just about five, six weeks away until our next championship. And then we get into that. Okay, you'll be at tennis. You're going to be at softball. You're going to be at baseball. And then it's summertime. 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 <laughs> uh, speaking of a guy that uh, is warm and fuzzy, Paul Coral. He's going to be our guest in our next segment. He always has great stories, and actually, he's the guy. Be like, hey, Paul, what what are some great stories that uh, we might be able to do uh, for the WAC? And he usually has five or six good ones, and I'm sure he'll have some coming up next on the WAC podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference, and for more than 65 years, has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner and Kendra Sheehan, now joined by Paul Coro, Lopes Insider, Senior Writer for GCULopes.com, and Radio Analyst, among many other talents. Uh, Paul, welcome back to the WAC Podcast. You're joining us for those listening uh, from a hotel room in Denver where the NCAA tournament, GC Lope, GCU Lopes will be playing on Friday. So let, let me ask you first, how was your trip? Uh, you know, my trip personally was smooth. I, you know, like uh, <laughs> everything else could have, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of uh, wagons to circle when you have one of these things here. But the nice thing about this trip, as opposed to two years ago, is I think GCU is getting its first real regional experience about you know going to a city where there's eight teams and the 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 crowds and the the hullabaloo all around everything whereas you know the first trip uh two years ago was during the pandemic and the bubble in indianapolis and everybody was sequestered and um they just didn't you know the ones that 
were part of that didn't get that real experience you know even us you know like there was different levels we were up high in the arena and the team was down the court and there's only two guys playing on this team that played on that team uh with Blackshear being hurt Gabe McLaughlin and Chance McMillan are the the only carryovers on the court Paul I'll ask you this because we'll start before we break down the whole tournament, how the Lopes got there with this matchup against Gonzaga, because it's a kind of cool storyline with head coach Bryce Drew playing against Gonzaga assistant coach, Roger Powell Jr., who was his assistant coach when coach Drew was at Valparaiso back from 2011, 2016. Cool little side note there. Uh, What do you think it's going to take for the Lopes to get it done? I mean, this is a tough matchup. Gonzaga has been a hot team for years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Congratulations for being in the tournament. Here's the best offense in the nation. Good luck. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, there's they're a team that whose confidence is riding so high right now that I, you know, I think they would have been willing to just play everybody. And I think they wanted to play two days after the WAC championship because things were going so well with you know four wins in five days, and they've just been red hot as far as shooting. So they think they come into this game with a lot of confidence that if they continue to play that way offensively that um they can they can challenge them you know Gonzaga is known for its offense not necessarily defense uh doesn't mean that they're not a great team but you know they're not uh number one on both sides of the ball they're number one on offense and that's a that's a lot to deal with in its own I think uh the Drew Drew Timmy factor you know one of the greatest players in college basketball uh you know at least the Lopes have a guy that's big like Ivan Uadrogo probably a little bit of different look than he gets a lot during the season. We're talking about a 6'9", 250 pound brick house who can move his feet. Uh, you know, usually you get one or the other, either a guy's huge and a wall and he can't move or a guy can move and he's, you know, maybe a little soft and you don't have that. Uh, you know, he probably would have been all defensive team if he didn't miss six weeks of the season. Uh, and they sorely missed him when he was out. And even when he came back, uh, Ivan Udrogo had to really work himself back into shape on the fly. So he's a good factor for Timmy, you know, um, Strother's another great wing for Gonzaga. And you got a guy like Kobe Knox, who's been a great defender as a red shirt freshman. And one of those guys who stepped up into a bigger role when Javon Blackshear Jr. went out with the knee injury in January. And uh, you know, he's just fearless. So you put him on somebody like that. And I think he looks forward to it. Paul, I, I, we were dubbing this the, the battle of the Orleans arena here because Obviously, Gonzaga, the West Coast Conference Tournament at the Orleans Arena before the WAC, and they, they win that tournament. And, of course, GCU goes on to win at the Orleans. Uh, one of the things with this matchup, I think uh, over the years, uh, GCU, I, I don't think it's any secret that they've kind of looked towards Gonzaga as being maybe a roadmap for where uh, the school wants to be as a men's basketball program. Now facing them in the NCAA tournament, getting an up-close view, I I got to imagine that kind of adds a little more to this matchup. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I don't think they've made any bones about it that they want to hold themselves up to a bar where Gonzaga has been for, you know, 24 years under Mark few, just going to the tournament every year and a couple natty games and a bunch of elite eights and final fours and such. And that, you know, that's, that's kind of the model of how it can be done from a mid-major uh, you know, there's other examples, Butler and Creighton and several others that that do that sort of thing. But Gonzaga, you're right, gets uh, mentioned a lot. And all the connections, like you mentioned, you know, Roger Powell Jr. being there after coaching with Bryce Drew at, at uh, Valparaiso and Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, at one point, 
Tommy Lloyd was the lead assistant there when his son Liam was was playing for GCU. So there's always kind of been these ties between the programs. And, uh, you know, you can see how quickly the Lopes are making advances. You know, it's only been 10 years of Division One. You know, you spend four of those years in the transition period where you're not postseason eligible. They lost one postseason year to COVID. So really, they've only had five shots at making the NCAA tournament, and they've done it twice. So probably not a lot of programs in the nation making 40% of the NCAA tournaments, uh, especially to start off. Going kind of off of that, because head coach Bryce Drew is in his third year. He's taken the Lopes to the postseason NCAAs twice. What is it about his coaching style and the players that he recruits and brings in in the last couple of years that have made this program one of the top teams in the WAC? I think it's different, and that's a credit to him and the coaching staff that it wasn't just one thing all along. You know, for a while, this program really hung its hat on the defensive side, and they were top five in opponent field goal percentage in the first two years that he and the staff were here, and that's how they did it. And he, you know, had a game-changing uh, transfer in Asbjorn Mitgard, uh, who led the nation in field goal percentage. You know, there, there's a guy that you know, I think he just has sort of that eye for talent because he had watched him at Wichita State and thought there was something more there because he wasn't playing and gave him the opportunity and he turned into an all-whack player. And uh, But, you know, he's also brought in other guys. And then I think the difference with this team is now, uh, now it's still a good defensive team, top 25, but now they have offensive weapons. And they've. Uh, this was the most impressive coaching job because you guys are well aware of WAC preseason player of the year, Javon Blackshear Jr. goes out in early January with a season-ending knee surgery. Ivan Uadrogo's already out with a hand fracture. So there's two of your starters. Josh Baker was starting, and he was in and out with ankle and shoulder injuries. So they were constantly having to try to reinvent themselves on the fly this season, and it took a while. There was a lot of weeks where they'd win the opening, lose the, the next game, and, win the, and they were tinkering with the lineup, and finally they kind of found something down the stretch you know, and, and guys stepped up big time with Blackshear. Uh, Chance McMillan uh, can't say enough about how much he's grown this year. He's been averaging 14 points a game since he moved in the starting lineup when Blackshear got hurt. And then you got a like, guy like Kobe Knox, who wasn't even uh, in the rotation all the time at the beginning of the year as a redshirt freshman. And then he ends up being a starter. And then in the semifinals, goes six for six on three-pointers. <laughs> And it's just a miraculous 180-degree turnaround with his shot to even be a three-point shooter, let alone uh, be so fearless that he goes six for six in a three uh, from the three-point line in a big game like that on top of being what a great defender he is. So, um, And then there was just all the in-game adjustments, you know, that, that Sam Houston game in the semifinals, you know, that was an emotional battle. You know, I think when we look back at this WAC tournament and the championship run, there are probably going to be a lot of people that remember the semifinal more than championship games. Southern Utah's great team. And, you know, it, it was a spectacular performance to, to hold double digit leads for most of that game. But that Sam Houston game was just gut wrenching at times. And, um, just, you know, foul trouble to Ray Harrison and um, Gabe McLaughlin in the first half where they were both sitting for long periods and Bryce Drew had to make adjustments in the second half and went to a small ball lineup to get things uh, to work, you know, use some different types of zones uh, to keep Sam Houston off guard. And every every button he push, pu pushed worked on that game. Paul, uh, the way they won, 
having to win four games in five days. And there's an article by Paul on GCU, GCULopes.com about the, the six game win streak and the, uh, the players only meeting uh, that kind of kicked things off there. But as far as the different ways they had to win, uh, Kendra and I talked about it in our previous segment, uh, Gabe McLaughlin uh, has a you know career game, 35 points shooting threes, but he's also an inside guy. Ray Harrison, you know, in the championship comes through. Kobe Knox, as you mentioned, goes six for six. They they seem to have found with the absence of Javon Blackshear Jr. Uh, that they can go to four, five different guys on a given night to to win a game for them. Yeah, and they really honed in on that eight-man rotation. And you could see in the tournament, every one of those guys contributed. It really became a team thing. I think there was a concern at one point, even when they started winning on that season-ending Utah trip, when they won at Southern Utah and Utah Tech, that it was just going to be Ray Harrison heroics carrying them. And, you know, the idea of can he keep that up for four games and five nights, but he didn't have to because other guys performed, like you said, Gabe McLaughlin, 35 points in the quarterfinal for a career high. And, uh, you know, Ray Harris and the, the next game with Kobe Knox with a career high, 21. Ray Harrison had 12 points and seven points in those middle two games. And so when it came championship game, he had plenty left in the tank and uh, just had a spectacular game. You know, there's only six guys in the nation that have had a 30 point, eight rebound, eight assist game. Uh, and he did it in a championship game uh, against a team like Southern Utah. And uh, he just has evolved into the go-to guy on this team where he came into the season very much willing to defer to the WAC preseason play of the year, Javon Blackshear Jr., because he knew, you know, he had won a championship. He had been a three-year starter. It could be – it was very much his team. And so Harrison picked his spots carefully. Uh, but then the team started turning to him and looking to him to to step in those times. And uh, he's just such a, a mature, uh, smart player that he, he has different ways to score. He's tough. Uh, and this is what he came here for. He – he wanted to win, but also he wanted to have more talent around him. And, you know, he, he'd been a 17-point scorer for two years at Presbyterian, but never efficiently like this because he just never had the talent around him that he could trust, and they trust him. That's true. He was having those 17-point performances, and both of those years his team was performing, you know, under 500 with their record. So uh, the other part I would – uh, Eric and I were talking about this beforehand about Gabe McLaughlin because I said, you know, you could make a candidate a candidate for that. He uh, could be that most outstanding player in addition. He doesn't go off those 35 points, 10, 10 rebounds. They, they don't make it to the championship. Of course, you know, Ray Harrison really showed up in the championship. But with Gabe McLaughlin and having been on that team a couple of years, you guys in the NCAAs, have you noticed him just really kind of come on and guys turn to him as well, especially when Javon was out? Yeah, absolutely. This is the most consistent that Gabe McLaughlin's ever played in his career. And, uh, you know, he's always been uh, a very good player and capable of big games and double doubles, but uh, night in and night out, he's been somebody that they can rely on for a lot of things. And, you know, a, a lineup that goes small a lot like they do because they're so guard oriented. It, they really lean on his uh, ability to score on the interior and control the boards. Uh, him and Ivan Odrogo are both great rebounders. But, man, he, all of a sudden, you know, that three-point shot that he worked on all summer and looked so good, all of a sudden it showed up in the last month. Like all that work just, you know, it wasn't 
it wasn't coming to fruition early in the season. And there was, you know, some frustrations with it because it had looked so good in the summer. And then he's just become a great three point shooter. And this team has so many three point. I mean, the, the three point shooting in the last two games, uh, you know, guys like Noah Bauman, Walter Ellis, you know, you bring those two guys off the bench at the same time. And all of a sudden you're spreading defenses like crazy And to, to do what they did to a top five defense, like Sam Houston, uh, you know, there was there was only one other team in the nation that even shot over 45 percent against Sam Houston all season. And they shot over 50. Uh, and it was just a, a quite a display. And you're right. Gabe McLaughlin, he's kind of the emotional leader of the team, too. You know, he um, he expresses himself. He he's uh, the talker. He's the connector. And, you know, he's really embedded in this uh, in this. His mom works at the university. Uh, you know, he's from the Phoenix area. So this all means a lot to him. The, uh, the Christian aspect to him is a big part to that's where him and Bryce drew really connect on making that an essential part of the program. Yeah. And I saw on uh, social media today, uh, Gabe was, he, he got on the intercom and did the, the prayer before the, the flight left and had a chance to be in the post game uh, press conference with him and uh, Ray Harrison. Just, yeah, just a very impressive young man. And, and very well spoken and you can tell he's a leader on that team and and was a part of a big part of that team two years ago uh, when they played Iowa and had to come in as Bjorn Midgard as I recall got into foul trouble and Gabe had to play down in the low post against uh, I'm gagging for the guy's name he's the player of the year yeah Yeah, that game you know another I I think Iowa at the time was probably number one offensively in some categories and it was a pick your poison thing and they said okay well going to take the post game away from Luca Garza and then he opened the game with a bunch of three pointers <laughs> so <laughs> that, that immediately went sideways on him because it was you had to give up something but yeah you're right Gay uh, Gabe McLaughlin's super s- smart guy too you know we're talking about a guy that has an engineering degree you know that he was he was finishing during the season last year and uh, now he's in a master's program and you got a few guys like that Walter Ellis just finished his MBA with an emphasis in finance and has yeah. his own business you know there's there's some smart guys on top of really talented guys on this team. Well, to follow up on that, uh, Paul, Walter Ellis, uh, was flipping back and forth between ESPN and CBS, you know, when they did the selection show. And my favorite moment had to be when, you know, they had the microphone on, on Walter Ellis and he was able to be interviewed by his dad on ESPN, Lafonso Ellis. And of course, uh, you're in Denver and uh, Kendra and I both moved from Denver recently, but I grew up there and remember watching Lafonso as a Denver nugget. So I, I imagine there's got to be some, some kind of symmetry going on there between uh, all, all these things happening. And then Dick Vitale uh, talking to Lafonso saying what a wonderful son he has in Walter and, and Lafonso getting teared up, you know, during the uh, selection show. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing. And, and, you know, from being around him in Denver, Lafonso Ellis is beloved by anybody in basketball. Like he's one of the nicest people uh, you'll see in college basketball and uh, Walter is much the same as far as a connector and a uh, just a good guy. Like, I, you know, even before his role grew late in this season, I thought he was so essential to the team because he's that guy that just talks, just talks to everybody, connects to everybody. You know, there's no clicks on the team. Uh, uh, Walter Ellis is going to not let that happen. He he wants to have a good time. That's what he came here for. Talks a mile a minute. <laughs> he's he's just full of ideas and uh, bravado, and uh, he's funny. And but man, can he shoot it too? <laughs> he just 
you know, Sean Farnham has been mentioning him a couple of times on ESPN broadcast, trying to get him in the three point shootout. And Walt Ellis says it's his dream to been his dream for five years to get in. And you look over the last two years, uh, I think he's got like the third best three point percentage in college basketball. So there's a case for it. And, you know, what a turnaround for him. He went through some uh, medical issues both years that slowed him up from having the role that he wanted to have, but he's improved defensively so much to, to be a real key cog in this team. Now he's that three and D guy. And uh, like I mentioned, you know, with the way they've been shooting lately, you know, having those games where two games in a row where they're shooting 13 of 20 and 16 to 30 from three point range, having him and Bauman out there, Bauman's one of the top 23 point shooters uh, in the nation active for their career. That just uh, makes defenses come out and opens up driving lanes for guys like Ray Harrison. Well, lastly for me, cause we're going to, we could break down every single one of these players. <laughs> I'm just so, I was so floored by Kobe Knox, especially the championship. I mean, six for six from behind the arc. I mean, 18 points. It was, he's just grown so much. And I remember talking to him before or talking to head coach Bryce drew before the game I said, you know, Kobe Knox is really coming to his own. He said, yeah, he still has those freshman moments. We're going to hope he doesn't play like a freshman tonight. And I mean, definitely did not. But how much have you watched him just like come into his own and take on all different roles all over the floor? I think you just like those Seminoles connections. That's the, that's the FSU in you. Dad, dad played football there. Mom played volleyball there. Won a uh, national dad. championship. Yeah. Yeah. I know where your heart's at. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, his dad played in the NFL. His brothers in the NBA. Kevin, uh, you know they have a family phrase: "Nobody works harder than the Knoxes," and that is shown on a daily basis with Kobe Knox. Nobody's in the gym more than Kobe. Nobody's just—he's like in the weight room. He's in the gym. He's talking to coaches. The guy knows an unbelievable amount of college basketball. He's just sitting around after practice the other day talking about like all the coaches' changes. He like he knows like who the new. You know, Austin P coaches and you know all these different things. He just follows the game tremendously. Uh, he, that redshirt year was so key to him last year because he he really needed that growth, but he also worked so hard and he transformed that jump shot. He was always you know super long and had great defensive instincts, but now he's coupled that game with him. And when early in the season when he wasn't a rotation guy yet, you know there was times where Bryce Drew would put him in when things weren't going well, and he was an instant shot of energy he goes in there and he is fearless he will drive to the rim on anybody and try to dunk on them he will take shots that you weren't sure he should be able to take yet in his career you know like back in november december and then look at him now just to in the biggest moment of the season going six for six like who does that not a redshirt freshman <laughs> well last thing for me paul uh we, we were talking a little bit in the last segment as well uh, I, I'm giving uh, GCU a puncher's chance here because Gonzaga has been off since Tuesday. Uh, their championship game was Tuesday. So they have about a 10-day layoff, uh, you know, maybe a little rust. Uh, of course, the Lopes played four games in five days. Maybe the, you know, a couple days off can uh, help uh, ease up some of the bruises, those kind of things. And plus, uh, like we were talking about earlier, there's so many different guys on the Lopes that can potentially – step up if somebody's having an off night um you know maybe it's gabe's turn maybe it's ray harrison's turn maybe it's three or four of them which might need to be the case when you're playing a team the caliber of gonzaga to come away with the w what what are your thoughts on what's going to need to happen 
for GCU to make it to the second round. That's true. I think we've talked about the contributions of everybody in the rotation. I'll throw Josh Baker in there. I think he's the only oh, yeah. guy. We, we have. haven't talked about Josh Baker yet. Maybe maybe he's the one that's going to like go off against Gonzaga. Right. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he's a great story, too, because he's battled a shoulder problem all year. And it's really gutty that he keeps going out there with, um, you know, sometimes he takes a hit on that thing and has to come out. And uh, he just keeps going back in and giving him what he can, especially defensively. But, yeah, you're right. Puncher's chance is a great way to put it. I, You know, nobody wants to get carried away with uh, predicting uh, the fall of Gonzaga all of a sudden. Uh, they're <laughs> a tremendous program with arguably the best player in the nation. So, uh, but the three-point shooting, I mean, if they if they continue at that clip, you know, during this six-game win streak, they've shot 50% or more from the field in every win. And none of those games were at GCU Arena. I, you know, I don't know how many teams have shot like that away from their home for six straight games. And, you know, you throw in games in there like against Sam Houston. They just beat the a top five defense in Sam Houston and a top five offense in Southern Utah. So um, they're operating at a high level. Um, it's going to take a, a balanced effort. Um, you know, defensively, they, they're going to have to come up with you know something to slow that team down a little bit but it's no doubt that they're gonna have to be able to score with them and uh their offensive efficiency has been off the charts lately the the turnovers have been down the shooting's been up uh free throw shooting is one of the secret keys of this team they've improved over past teams and free throw shooting so much um and you see them down the stretching stretch of games just knocking down shots i mean that was the whole difference sam houston game right the guys went to the you know walter ellis goes to the line knocks down two to win uh, Sam Houston missed some down at the down the stretch. You know, it can be as simple as that sometimes. But um, the, the one thing you got like about this team is, you know, they don't lack for confidence. They're not going in there scared or wide eyed. You know, they they feel like they're prepared for this. Well, hey, Paul, uh, well, actually, I have one more question. What's the weather like there in Denver? Yeah, it's not it's not bad. It was pretty pleasant. You know, like if if you can steal some. Nice weather in Denver in early March. You'll take it, right? I think there's some snow maybe in the forecast, but it's comfortable outside right now. It's uh, And the downtown setup is great. It's just cool to see, like, this uh, NCAA March Madness sort of feel back, you know, um, Lopes didn't make it last year. So, uh, but seeing it this year compared to how it was in 2021 in Indianapolis is just, uh, you know, it's exciting for d these kids to be able to go through that sort of experience and all the things that will come with it with like <clears throat> open practices. And, you know, the fun thing about being a 14 seed, it's not fun to play Gonzaga probably in the first round, but the fun thing about it is you get an arena behind you usually. And as soon as they see like all the havocs and, and everything, you know, in Lope nation that will be in the stands, I think maybe uh, they, they might turn the whole crowd in their favor to get behind them and give them that extra boost. Yeah, Phoenix to Denver, not too bad of a trip for the uh, the Havocs to make. Uh, a little, little bit closer to Indianapolis, and uh, I, I guess not the same time zone. I'm trying to think now because we just, just have change, the uh, yeah one hour now. savings deal. There, so it's, there is no doubt there is going to be a presence here of, of Havocs. Awesome. Hey, Paul, I appreciate you uh, taking some time out, and uh, and we can actually root for the Lopes. We have to stay neutral uh, all season long, but now we get to actually uh, root for the Lopes as they take on Gonzaga on Friday. That's going to be on True TV. Nailed and, uh, it. We'll, we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website, 
at waxsports.com.